Hello and welcome to The Book Album, your place for everything related to reading and language. I'm your host, Mackenzie Gens. Now, bookmark that book and let's begin. Hello, hello, and welcome to the show. Hello and herzlich willkommen zu unserem podcast. Welcome to the book album. It's crazy for me to be saying this, but yes, we have rebranded. Our logo has been slow to update on a few places, so I apologize for that in advance, but things are slowly being revamped, re-updated here on the show. I hope you guys have been enjoying all of the content we've been putting out this summer. It's been a lot of fun for me to put together. And of course, today, a bit more of an informal episode for you all on week X of reading, which is a series we've been doing this year to check in with me, the avid reader, at different parts of the year to see where I'm at. Am I on track? Am I ahead behind of my 52 books or a book a week? Per year challenge. This is, of course, week 32 as I'm recording this. I am recording this close to when I'm publishing it because I wanted to get as accurate of a count on it as I could. So here I am, week 32. I wanted to record a candid segment of where I think I'm at before I actually validate where I'm at on my reading list. My thoughts are pretty splayed around at this point. I honestly have been just surviving in in certain ways. Uh, There's lots of extraneous things going on in my life. Summer school, language courses, graduate school applications, of course my personal stuff, reading, family, all of these things, and a lot of those things are coinciding at the same time, coming to a head, I think, in bigger ways than I'm used to, bigger ways than maybe I anticipated happening all at once. So I've been a little all over the place lately in my reading and my personal journey with that, just because there's so much going on. I'd liken it to visiting Las Vegas for the first time and you drive through the strip and there's just like all these lights everywhere and there's so much to look at. Even if you've been there many times like I have, there's just so much still. So that's kind of what's happening. It's a good corollary for what's happening in my world right now. So that's obviously going to affect things like reading, which I think really are just only a product of kind of the life that I live (laughs) and um, they follow the same trajectory that I'm on. So if my outside world is chaotic, my inside world is going to be chaotic too. So, which is fine for short periods, not fine for long periods. So candidly, I, I have no idea where I'm at. I think I did okay in the early parts of the summer, reading and keeping on track. I am sure that I'm behind by now just because I have not had the dedicated reading time that I would have loved to have. Um, I'm also, and I'll talk about this in a minute, so close to finishing Bleak House. So it's one of those things where I 
want to devote more time to it than I am and I'm a little bit behind on things that don't have immediate due dates. So that's my candid response. I think maybe I'm a couple books behind at this point, but I honestly have no idea, no gauge. I don't check in on this regularly, obviously, so that's my candid response. I'm going to check back in in a minute once I've calculated where I'm at. All right, it is Mackenzie a few minutes later in the future. I am here. I am on book 33. I just finished book 33 two weeks ago, so I was more ahead than I actually anticipated. Um, I have read a bit these past few weeks. Like I said, it's been slowing down quite a bit since late June, I would say, so I must have gotten quite ahead in late June then have slowly been keeping pace with myself again and I'm honestly very content with my progress. The 52 books a year for me is not a hard deadline. It was the first year and the reason why was I needed something very strict to get me out of my reading lull. As you all know, I started reading again when I was a sophomore to a junior in high school around that time. I had been an avid reader as a child, but I literally just did not read from around 7th grade to that time when I was a sophomore, junior in high school. So it, I needed a big push. I'm one of those people that needs the extreme in order to really commit to something. If I do a no sugar challenge, as my patrons know, I am not going to eat sugar at all for the set amount of time. It's one of those practices for me that really gets me going and I think the extreme really was helpful as I was doing this challenge earlier. Nowadays of course that I am well seasoned, this is my sixth or seventh year I believe doing this challenge and I am just so accustomed to the pace at this point that it's not a problem for me to get behind as I was a few episodes ago. It's not a problem for me, obviously, to be ahead. I don't really use it as a heavy gauge anymore. So as I always talk about with these episodes, I am going to talk about what I'm reading currently, the things that I'm thinking about with these books, and sort of how I balance all of them. I never used to be the kind of person who read multiple books at a time. I tend to try to stick to one or two in my ideal world. In times like this, of course, as I said, my internal starts to reflect my external, so I'm reading a lot of books right now and that's only a consequence of sort of the many different extremities that I'm balancing in my other obligations right now. So the first book, of course, I've already said it, Bleak House. I am within the last hundred pages, which if you are a longtime listener of the show, you know are my hardest in any book like Bleak House, honestly in any book ever, which is why two to three hundred page books are, they can be particularly hard for me to read because the first hundred pages and the last hundred pages of any book are the sections that are just really laborious for me to get through for some reason. So with Bleak House, I would say that is definitely the case. It took me 
months and months to get started on it, as you all know, and definitely as patrons know. I've been talking about Bleak House for like a year and a half now, and we've only been reading it since March, I believe. And so I'm within this last 100 pages. I am finishing up um, note-taking, and if you are on Patreon, again, you know a lot about Bleak House and sort of how we run those series, but behind each Bleak House episode, which of course each of them are an hour or so long, uh, I have about four to five hours of work behind each episode, so I read, of course, I do a lot of background research on the chapters if I need to, some I just read and candidly talk about from my experience with literature or with Dickens, for example. Then I take notes, I do any other checks, quote checks, anything that I need, and I pull those from the book. Then I compile episode notes, and I have these like master sheets of notes that I use. This is a practice that I used for Infinite Jest when we did Infinite Jest in 2020 between January and August, September. Um, so yeah, I'd handwrite them normally. Sometimes I type them. It just depends on how scripted the episode is. If I script it, it's more writing, so I type it. If I don't, and I'm just pulling a couple quotes here and there, I tend to handwrite it. Um, those pages are maybe four pages per episode, so two pages double-sided. Then I start recording, and then the editing phase, and then so on. So it is a really big undertaking to do a project like Bleak House, but that being said, I am so thrilled to have done Bleak House as kind of our second big read on the show. It has been such a tremendous experience for me, and I mean that in multiple senses of the word. Um, Bleak House, I don't want to spoil anything about the book for those of you reading along with the series, but it's becoming my favorite Dickens book of all time, which is high praise considering that we've read about a dozen of his novels over the years. <laughs> so um, it's, yeah, absolutely becoming one of my favorite Dickens novels ever. And I can't wait to do more Dickens reading this December coming up here. I am reading two audiobooks, and I wanted to mention these. I'm not sure if I mentioned them in the last few episodes. I think I mentioned them in an earlier episode this year, maybe the March one. I do read audiobooks quite a bit, but my Audible membership wanes and waxes quite a bit depending on how good of a deal I have, honestly, <laughs> is that really how in German we would say Gunstey, like how uh, cheap or how um, good of a deal it becomes or it is. So for me, this is not sponsor sponsored by Audible, by the way. This is my own like opinion and my own practice. I get emails every once in a while saying, oh, there's a deal for the year or there's a deal for four to five months and you can get like X dollars off. And I will automatically go for those deals. I kind of <laughs> budget for them automatically. If you know, you know about the finances and Dave Ramsey and all that. So uh, I will definitely go for audiobooks when I can. And I just came out of a season where I got a four or five month Audible membership out of a deal. And I bought, 
I tend to have a list of audiobooks that I really want to get. My criterion for audiobooks is typically I read a lot of social science, social psychology audiobooks, and the reason why is it keeps me more engaged than if I were reading it by myself in my room. So Oliver Sacks, I've read a couple Adam Grant books, for example, a couple Angela Duckworth hits, um, which is one I'm reading now as well. There's just been a lot of social science-y books over the years. And the other type of book that I read is self-help over audiobooks. The reason why is typically the authors will read the books themselves uh, with those kinds of books, and I really like that. I, I appreciate that in the sense that you really get an understanding for how they would phrase things and what they're emphasizing within the self-help books. And for me, looking at a list of like, you must do these things to get a better job or to start something you love, that's boring. But listening to the author's inflection of how they choose to phrase that, how they choose to bring those points out is fascinating to me and I think it teaches me a lot about effective communication which of course I'm after in many regards. So the first book that I am reading on audiobook format is Grit by Angela Duckworth. This has actually been a super helpful read for me. I went ahead and bought a paperback version as well because I'm going to need the citations um, for my own chagrin, but Grit has been just like so eminently interesting. I have heard about Grit since I was super young. It was something that was important. My parents definitely prioritized grittiness to me. Um, taught me how to hang in with things even if I didn't really want to. Um, grit for the uninformed is a measurement of passion and perseverance, determination and direction. I think actually determination and direction are more clear and concrete for me. And it's the intersection of those two things, the bolstering up of them, that creates this... Um, <laughs> well, Angela Duckworth talks a lot about paragons of grit. People who just are so gritty and she extracts the qualities of them and how they developed and how those interests developed into something that they could run with long term. And so it's not only about catching an interest and developing it over time, over many, many years, a lifetime even, but it's also about sticking with that and continuing to being to be interested in it. And so one thing that's been quite hard for me to swallow as I've been going through this season of graduate school applications. I'm sure there's tons of you out there who are looking for a transition of some kind, moving out of the pandemic, moving into the fall. We're in application season for a lot of folks. So it's one of those pills to swallow where I have to realize that I can't do something brand new, which is what I was hoping to do. I was hoping to just skate into another subject, but I realized I didn't really have any expertise in those subjects that I was considering pursuing, and long term it wasn't worthwhile for me to consider myself still in the sampling phase, to use Duckworth's explanation or terms. I realized I was really 
moving into in this period of my life into the development phase and that it was not only more gritty but it's going to be more advantageous for me more interesting for me moving forward to stick with some of the same questions and problems that I've been looking at in my undergraduate career and in other tangential research projects as well so uh, that's been a really transformative read for me alongside this process of applying for graduate school. It's helped me better contextualize some of the gut feelings I have, some of the uh, inclinations I have in pursuing certain things. So it's definitely a book I would recommend even if you're not looking forward to a change coming up soon. It's one of those books that makes you reevaluate yourself and it's a book that is not only um, descriptive in that it tells you what you are <laughs> and what's going on um, with your with yourself and your work for example but it also is prescriptive it gives you a method to understanding how you got to the place that you're at on the grit scale and then also to work on how to get a grittier score, how to become grittier. The next book is called I Will Teach You To Be Rich by Safi. I don't have a lot to say about this book. I've gotten into more finance books over the past year. I've read two or three already this year. It's just interesting for me to see different financial philosophies. I don't necessarily subscribe to everything I read, obviously, but again, it's a new viewpoint, a new perspective, and I think it helps me better contextualize the path that I'm on and the strong things that I do believe about personal finance, just in a different way. A lot of times, financial authors will say the same things, but they'll give different examples or they will talk about it from a different point of view and I find that super helpful especially when talking about personal finance to other people as well. Alright, let's get into some fun stuff. So I am reading, I tend to always read one book in German while I read other books uh, in English. So the book that I am reading right now is a book of short stories. It's called Aus Waters Bart noch rot war. Uh, it's by Wolf Dietrich Schnürer and it's um, it's just a really adorable, <laughs> I don't know how to say it other than that, like it's just an adorable book of short stories about fathers and sons. Uh, the title roughly translates to when father's beard was still red. So it's it's a lot of commentary about the relationship between father and son. I read a short story a couple years ago in a German literature class from this book and I thought it was just so poignant and also just so fun again. Um, and that's something that I haven't uh, capitalized on in my other readings of German literature. I often read, like, Siddhartha by Hermann Hesse. Like, I just read these, like, philosophical deep texts, or, like, I've read a lot of sci-fi in German, for example. These just, like, texts that are so serious and so structured, etc. And, and there's definitely structure, there's definitely rigidity somewhat in the language of this book, but it's just such a joy to read. Um, not that the other books weren't, by the way, but this, yeah, is just a super fun, more lighthearted read than I'm used to in German. 
and it's a really good accompaniment to some of the language courses that I'm taking right now. I'm also reading pieces by Helen Oyoyemi. It's a new book by this author. We did a review of her in, I think it was fall 2020. Correct me, longtime listeners, if I am wrong. Uh, we did a review of her, the, the last book that she wrote. It, it, I know the title. It's called Darling Rose Gold. And it was fascinating. It was kind of a mystery in a lot of senses. There was a great twist at the end. I hear that there's also a twist at the end of this book and I'm very excited. This book is much shorter as well uh, than the other book that we read last year. So I'm super excited. I think uh, Oyoyami is just such a talented author and becoming very prolific at such a young age, which I find um, to be very admirable as well, uh, to just someone who's so creative and has so much interesting things to say. I just really find it impressive. So pieces, I will definitely, um, I won't say definitely, I'm not going to promise this, but I'm going, I'm leaning towards reviewing it on the podcast and we'll see if I have enough to say about it. Usually, when I don't review a book on the podcast, it's just because I don't have enough to say about it that's not self-evident from the book. And the last book that I'm currently reading is First Person Singular by Haruki Murakami. I uh, really have enjoyed this book as well. I'm about halfway through and I will probably finish this book first, interestingly. Um, if not Bleak House, then this book for sure, uh, this upcoming week. It's a quicker read than most of Murakami's short story collections, um, that I have read at least. There's the, a couple of ones that I read more when I was in high school. Um, and I, yeah, I'm just, I'm really interested in the new themes that Murakami explores in this collection. He talks a lot more openly about death, and he talks a lot about um, almost this like nebulous space of the mind, which I find very interesting. We reviewed Sputnik's Sweetheart a while ago, and that it's a book that's very similar thematically to this short story collection. I think. You know, the last thing Haruki Murakami wrote was Killing Commendatore, that magnificent novel. It was insane to read. I did read it in 2019. Um, and I, I can definitely see the evolution there of the how Killing Commendatore, which is uh, akin to The Great Gatsby in a lot of ways, he kind of, it's, it's a similar story and he kind of writes it as an homage to The Great Gatsby. And also, you know, kind of a Meisterwerk um, for Murakami in a lot of ways. Like, Murakami already has, look, Norwegian Wood 10Q84 already has those two in his repertoire, plus some great short fiction, might I add. Uh, and then he publishes Killing Commendatory, and he's sort of... Uh, debuting this later phase of his career, talking about things he hasn't explored in fiction before, and there's these stock kind of Murakami themes and Murakami symbols that are still present for largely in these books, but for example, you know, um, 
ears, cats, uh, <laughs> extramarital affairs, um, booze, classical music, uh, talking animals in particular, um, little like magical things, there's like living metaphors in some of his work, um, like portals sort of, like I don't want to say portals, I'm scratch that idea, but like you know other worlds, like other dimensions is a big theme. I could go on. I have read a lot of Murakami over the years, obviously, but there's just, there's just like, it, I want to say almost that there's kind of these tangential figures throughout this book, first person singular, that I find to be really fascinating. So for example, there's, um, there's a story in here about, um, Charlie Parker plays Bossa Nova. It's one of the, uh, stories that inspired the cover, which I need to talk about this book, obviously. <laughs> I'm gonna do it, I think, on the September Patreon. So patrons, look forward to a review of First Person Singular next month. But uh, it talks about jazz and sort of the these deep, detailed descriptions of this jazz that I find so fascinating. I am a huge lover of jazz. I have been for a long time. Um, and it parallels like for example the book that he wrote I think it's called simply on music but he wrote it with a Japanese conductor who conducted the Boston Symphony Orchestra for a long time and uh, there it was it's essentially just a book of their discussions on classical music and them sitting down and listening to different recordings and it's it's just fascinating for me not only as a musician and a young professional going out into the world, playing in various groups, but also um, just as someone interested in literature and in narrative and how these conversations take on a narrative and a life of their own throughout the book. So um, first person singular, I would highly recommend it, especially if you're a someone who wants to get more into Murakami, someone who's read Murakami for a long time. This is definitely um, a just a worth the wait kind of read. It's been something that I have been, it's been on my radar for a long time, so I'm uh, super grateful to be reading it. So uh, let's talk about a couple books that stand out in my year thus far. And you know, we're two thirds through the year of reading. I've got about, I've got less than half of my reading to do, um, for sure, but we're getting to the end. We're getting to the end here, and I'm going to talk about three books that have really made an impact on me this year, books that I particularly enjoyed, books that stand out in my list of 33 books that I have in front of me. The first book is, and these are not in any particular order, by the way, um, the first book is A Heart So White by Javier Marias. Um, I've been wanting to get into Spanish literature and Catalan literature as well for a long time. Um, and yeah, this is a book that did not debut my uh, starting to get into this type of literature this year, but definitely came in the process of me discovering more about it. And I am just... I kind of was enamored with this book. I was so interested in it, and it's just, it was interesting. It had a loud beginning and a quiet ending, and I love the narrative flowing of it. I love the pacing of it. 
it's such a complicated <laughs> book and a complicated thread of narratives. Um, and the writing is a little bit more complex than I imagined uh, when I read the first page, but it was just, yeah, it was just one of those reads that was just so tasteful and so timely for me, and it really stands out as one of the uh, pinnacle books of my year thus far. Run by Ann Patchett. Um, I could not stop talking about Run in the emails, so I finally had to uh, take it off of my recommendations for the email list, and you can sign up for the email list at relevanceofliterature.com. Uh, there should be, like, a pop-up. It's also at the bottom of the homepage. You can just put your email in, become part of our email fam, and do some Ex Libris, the book album. Um, yeah, run by Ann Patchett. Wow, it just blew me away. I really thought about reading it again. I think I need time away from it, though. It's one of those books. And what blew me away about it is I love books about relationships and family, especially complex familial relationships. And this is about two sons who are adopted and there's a third son who's not adopted. And just sort of the complex webbing of like when the mother dies and she's this woman, this figure who ties everyone together, what's left and how do these people who are otherwise like sort of randomly connected in some ways, how are they left to love each other and to connect with each other and how do they um, make amends? How do they, yeah, how do they demonstrate and serve, demonstrate that love and serve each other long term? So it's a hugely fascinating study for me on on love and on character, on family, on relationships, and there's just so much going on in that book, um, and it's written so beautifully. So Run by Ann Patchett definitely makes that list too. And finally, Come As You Are by Emily Nagoski, PhD, um, is a book that has been hugely transformative for me, it was recommended to me by Dr. John Deloney, who runs a podcast out of the Ramsey Network that I listen to. Um, big fan, shout out. And yeah, it's a, it's a book about intimacy. It's a book about relational and also sexual intimacy. It essentially takes apart the constructions that society has created around those topics and it breaks them down bit by bit <laughs> and it's just again it was one of those books that was so transformative and so timely for me um, just as a young woman trying to navigate the world and trying to understand how to build meaningful relationships with other people so this is not a book by the way only for women and I think that's maybe a misconception about Nagoski's writing to a certain extent. This is a book for everyone. Like, if you're a young man, if you're an older man, like, if you're a married couple, like, I would read this book. No matter who you are, read this book. This is maybe the one book that I would universally recommend. Um, it is just, again, it, it takes these assumptions that we hold so dear about relationships, whether or not they're friendly, whether or not they're intimate, whatever, and it breaks them down and uses poignant and clear science to deactivate them, essentially, and it 
gives you a context for how to pursue relationships and how to do your best for and with other people. So again, that's that's probably the one book that I would just universally recommend. It is absolutely one of the highlights of my year thus far. And to wrap up here, I thought something that would be fun to do for this episode, since it is getting later in the year, would be to go through my library of books that I haven't read. And yes, like, unfortunately, there's a library of books I haven't read at my house. And pick a couple of books that I would be remiss not to read as the year comes to a close. So I have four books in front of me. These are the books that I think will help me in some way. <laughs> and uh, maybe I can contextualize that by saying that for me, reading is so much nowadays about developing my empathy. It's about being a steward of my mental faculties, being a steward of my mind. And Erwin McManus says that discipline is self-love. And I completely could not agree with more, more with that statement. It's something that I practice every day, you know, and I eat healthily. I choose to eat healthily over unhealthily, for example, discipline is self-love. And it's one of those things of being disciplined in certain respects to get the ultimate joy out of it. So... These are books um, that I think being disciplined enough to read them as the year comes to a close will definitely benefit either my empathy or my understanding of self or my understanding of other people. The first is A Book of Common Prayer by Joan Didion. Uh, Joan Didion did not write as much fiction as she did nonfiction. Um, and I haven't, I, I honestly am not well versed in her fiction. I've read, obviously, Run River, a couple other books that I've reviewed on the show. Um, there's another one that I'm blanking on the name right now. <laughs> but yeah, I've read a couple of her fiction books. She just did not write as much fiction as nonfiction. So that's something that I think I would really benefit from is understanding her style, especially considering that we just read the White Album a couple weeks ago on the show. The second book is maybe a surprise for a lot of you. Um, it's The Ghost Writer by Philip Roth. Um, I am a huge Philip Roth junkie. I really like his writing. It's a writing style that challenges me. I think that's what I like about it the most. It's, it's realistic fiction, mostly, is what he writes. Um, there's a book about... It's called Patrimony. I think that's the last... Uh, Philip Roth book that I've read. I love the second book in the American Pastoral series. It's about communism. It's insane. It's just really super well written in my opinion. I know that's like a very underappreciated book in Philip Roth's Ouvoir, but yeah, I really like that book in particular. <laughs> it reminds me a lot of uh, The Jungle by Upton Sinclair, kind of mixed with Catch-22 in some ways. Um, but yeah, The Ghost Writer in particular, because I have it, because it's short, I love Philip Roth's shorter fiction. I think his style just suits the novella super well. Not to say that this is a novella, it's probably a novel, but it's, yeah, it's just this, like, very punctual, um, 
puncturing kind of writing and I have benefited from it because again it's been so challenging for me over the years and I just need to get it a little more into Philip Roth again. I haven't read a book of his in a substantial period of time, like maybe more than a year. So it's it's time to get back into him. I have several unread books by him in my collection, so it's time to start reading Philip Roth again. The third is a novel called Whereabouts. It's the new Lahiri book that is out. I have never read anything by Junpo Lahiri. I have heard uh, a lot about her, a lot about her work and her, I guess, personal life in some ways. I was talking to a uh, bookseller at my local bookstore about her work and sort of her life and the books, the bookseller was telling me a lot about her, um, how she's kind of done a lot in her life to subvert the assumptions that people have about her based on, for example, her beauty or other factors in her life. So she's had to overcome a lot in that respect to become so self-assured as a writer. I've really heard a lot about her self-assuredness, her confidence as a writer. Uh, this novel is significant in a couple ways, so I've heard. One, it's her first novel in Italian. Uh, obviously, I will not be reading the Italian version, and I think also, unfortunately, I would love to do that. My Italian is not there. Uh, it's also the first book of uh, hers that she's translated, and uh, that's significant because she is doing a lot <laughs> with that. I mean, if, if you think about, you know, not only writing a book in another language, um, probably her third or fourth language, if I'm understanding right, uh, not only doing that, but also translating that work yourself. And, and that's just such an underpaid and underserved skill as well as translation. So super excited to read Whereabouts. I think it's going to be a really good first taste of her writing and her work. And the last book that I would be remiss not to read in the reading that I'm going to do at the end of the year is Everything Like the Everything Like Before and the author is Kiel Askildsen, um a Norwegian writer. I don't know if you all know this, I am half Norwegian, half Korean. Um so I have done a lot of reading over the years uh, understanding those different identities across world literature. Um, Askildsen is a particularly renowned Norwegian writer, especially when it comes to short stories. Um, and yeah, renowned all over the world for his short stories. So I am super excited not only to have my hands on this book because um, it is kind of an interesting like size and print edition but also just to be uh, in the presence and be able to graciously read this amazing writer's writing so I am super excited as well to get to know Askeldson's writing better than I know it and also to read more short fiction, which is definitely something that I have tried to increase this year, is understanding short fiction better. So 
those are my four books for the end of the year. We talked about a lot during this episode, so thanks for hanging in with me, you all. I really appreciate it. I appreciate your time and your attention, and again, hanging in through this slight period of transition into the book album instead of DH&I, and also just hanging in with all of the different book reviews and the dynamic topics that we're able to cover on the show. I know that it's not everyone's cup of tea, but I hope that it's your cup of tea. All right, y'all, I will see you next week. If you enjoyed the episode and would like to hear more from us, we've done everything from Shakespeare to Dracula. There really is a show and a series for everyone, so I'd recommend checking out our website at relevanceofliterature.com under the ongoing series tab for links to our entire back catalog of episodes, as well as any current goings-on of our show. If you are looking for even more content, we also have a Patreon page at patreon.com slash relevanceofliterature. Thank you so much for your support, and we'll see you next time.